if everybody had hobbies, my hobby was just drinking and partying, and I just <laughs> I gave it a red hot fucking go. You, know. you become they said, what is it? You, you become a master after ten thousand hours, and yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I. I used to say I had like a PhD in alcohol. Like I, it. that was what I did most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's Will and Mitch, their mates, and recovering alcoholics who host the Last Drinks podcast. As is the case for many young Aussies, their drinking started in their early teen years and snowballed from there. Drinking goes hand in hand with Aussie culture, but how much is too much and how do you know you've got a problem when it's so accepted? A lot of us like a drink, myself included, and it's easy not to question it until you're suffering from another hangover. Will and Mitch are setting the example that there's another way and it doesn't have to mean giving up all the fun. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Guys, what was your relationship like with alcohol from the time you started drinking? Oh, my! I guess I'll start. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just come out. What was my relationship like? I guess I started drinking from a young age, about 14. Started binge drinking most weekends, which, you know, over the years progressively got worse and worse. And then I guess it turned into... I would, I would work during the week. And then as soon as I'd finish work on a Friday, I'd be be drinking most of the weekend and uh, and it would generally spill over into to most Sundays. And really any time that I had off, if I had went on holiday or any sort of time off at all, I'd find myself filling all the spare time with, with drinking, which, uh, yeah, ended up becoming very heavy towards the end and I, and I was unable to moderate. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite scary. Mm. And what about you, Will? I mean, for me, it was, you know, if everybody had hobbies, my hobby was just drinking and partying. And I just, <laughs> I gave it a red hot fucking go. You, know. you become, they said, what is it? You become a master after 10,000 hours. And yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd, I used to say I had like a PhD in alcohol. Like I, that was what I did most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so how did that develop from a young age for you, Will? You started drinking same time as... Mitch and was it sort of from that point onwards you were off to the races with it yeah look I I had my first drink when I was 15 I was around it when I was like 13 and I was I wasn't really a rebellious kid so like I was put off the idea of underage drinking because oh it's against the law and then I just succumbed to peer pressure eventually just got sick of mates saying I'll just have a drink so I just did and it was fine. There was no sort of romantic spark with it. Like I've heard from some people, it was just, it felt good. And then, you know, house parties from there. And then obviously when you turn 18, it's like, all right, well, yeah, as you said, off to the races, mm. I can buy it now legally. And yeah, it was most, it was just a lot of drinking and partying most weekends, some weekdays. It was just, yeah, I spent a lot of my time doing it. And I guess I then used it as a tool, as a way of dealing with all the shit going on with my life that I guess I wasn't prepared or ready to deal with in, yeah. a, in a sense. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people can relate to that. Mitch, your actual first reaction to drinking was a bit stronger. From listening to your podcast, you were like, fuck yeah, I love this straight away. And yeah. you were just into it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much straight away. <clears throat> I had a, um, I guess I had a, a fairly challenging time at school and and you know in the home and so as soon as i was able to drink it really it seemed to relieve a lot of pressure and, and stress from my life 
and uh, it really gave my life a sense of meaning and it, it helped really helped me socialize and start to try and feel included which you know worked well at the time but uh as time passes you know it's it's obviously not the healthiest way to uh, feel socially included mm. and but yeah but that's that's kind of how it all started for me and it, it really clicked and um, as soon as I had it the first time I was yeah I was trying to get it as often as I could and you really build an identity around it in those teenage years as well where it's so cool in certain circles or at least perceived that way to be the one who gets the most fucked up or drinks the most and because no one has any <laughs> experience or any depth of knowledge about the reality of what that's actually like everyone's like oh yeah that that's cool. Well, not everyone. I shouldn't say that, but a lot of people in my yeah. experience during school days, I started drinking when I was 14 and that sort of 13, 14, 15 seems to be the age when that starts to happen. And those parties went on and they were good parties. And, uh, we thought we were growing up back then. You know, it's so funny to think yeah, about it. Yeah. Kids running around with braces yeah. still and pimples all over their face and they're smashing all these UDLs and, uh, and thinking that yeah. they're adults. And you, and then you look back and you're like, that was pretty loose for you know, a bunch of kids that really were kids. Cause you see kids of that age these days who are 14 and you're like, wow, you're, you're really a kid. You don't have any idea about anything. Uh, but at the time mm. you don't, you don't see it that way. And, you, you're either a kid who drinks and parties and is a, is a cool kid in that way or you're not. And uh, there's a lot of pressure at that time that if you're not getting on it and going to all the parties, then you're not cool. So after you turned 18, how much more intense did it get? Yeah, I mean, for me, I guess once I turned 18, I was also, you know, taking party drugs, which, I mean, you and I both grew up in Adelaide. You know, that's a, it's a, it seems to be a pretty common thing. Yeah. So... I guess it, yeah, just slowly escalated after 18. I guess the level of intensity was, you know, I'd often be blacking out and not really remembering a lot of things that happened. I was, yeah, getting into getting into fights, getting into to trouble, having to take time off work because I was just too too fucked on a Monday and yeah, um, and things like that. And then so that, and then that sort of, you know, I guess at 18 it was happening a little bit, and then as time passed, it progressively got got worse and worse. Mm. Were you a Red Square HQ type customer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the amount of times that I've been to those places, I'd be too ashamed to admit. Yeah, hanging out at Red Square till like eight or nine in the morning, you know, and walking out. Yeah, and, those, you know, those were the days, man. Walking their dogs and... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. That, not that, pleasant, not that's pleasant. A, that's a grim feeling. I'd love to see the scorecard. I reckon I've probably been more times than you, or I'd certainly be shocked if you'd been more than me. In fact, we've probably been in the smokers probably area have. together at some point, <laughs> Like just don't remember it. <laughs> it probably happened. <laughs> yeah, there's a good chance of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, uh, Will? When you were in your twenties, how did your relationship with alcohol change? I mean, it certainly was becoming a problem. I can remember as early as like twenty, like having incidences where just my behaviour was erratic whilst heavily intoxicated. But I guess the turning point was I had a relationship breakdown when I was, I guess, twenty one, twenty two. And I'd already created this entity that was focused on partying, drinking, and essentially trying to hook up with as many women as possible. Cause I thought that was cool. That's what, that's what, that was what, you know, was being a man was, I guess. Yeah. But then I met someone who made me feel things that I'd never felt before about another person. So it was kind of this, I guess, struggle to try and, you know, this new entity that was probably better for me. I uh, was trying to, you know, take on this already dark fuck, fuckwit that was already in control of the car. So that relationship fell apart because I had no self-control 
as evident with my, you know, erratic, out of control drinking, I was also unfaithful most of the time because I was just selfish, which addiction is. It's a selfish pursuit. And yeah, when I got caught out and I, you know, felt deeply ashamed and embarrassed of what I did and sort of seeing the ramifications of breaking someone's heart. Yeah. Like I just spiraled and yeah, then just was, I didn't, I thought, well, I don't have the guts to take a permanent solution. So I'll just leave it up to chance and I'll just Mm. send it as much as possible and just numb out from alcohol. And that was kind of what I did for, I guess the next five or six years, really just, yeah, just either just working some job I didn't give a shit about and then just getting pissed every weekend just to escape. Did you, did you feel like it was self-harm? In a way, yeah. I mean, I people would, would say to me that they weren't really concerned with me getting hurt by other people when I was drinking. They were more concerned that I was going to hurt myself. I had episodes. I did a trip with my brother uh, in America on a Kentucky tour where it was I, my behavior was erratic, and I've spoken to my mum uh, like these days, and she mentioned to me that yeah, he was just worried. He just he was just he felt helpless. He didn't know what to do with you because you were just yeah so out of control with your drinking and yeah your behavior was erratic and had to yeah sort of do the work on that and apologize to everyone for. And what was it like to hear that? Because I think it can come as a shock to people when they hear that sort of thing from others. If you've been drinking and you've been acting in a certain way, the person who's drinking. You don't think that's how it went. (laughs) It it takes other people. You're like, oh, that was fine. Like we had fun. We met these people. And I don't remember some parts of it, but like it was all good. And it takes someone else to be like, no, it wasn't all good. And then it can be quite confronting to hear that from someone else. Yeah, I guess if I just had the attitude of just like, oh, I'll be all right. You know, I'll just figure it out and wing it. And, you know, I'd have a blind, turn a blind eye to whether I actually actually realize the ramifications and how serious, you know, of an issue it could have been for the levels of drinking that I was doing. And then, yeah, like I said, like if my behavior was uh, not appropriate and really did get people worried and I, you know, people would, I'd stop getting invited to things uh, because of it. Like my, me and my brother, we used to work in the same workplace. So we had the same friendship circle. And one of the first things I noticed was when there would be sort of social gatherings he would get invited to these things and then I wouldn't. And that was kind of like, oh, okay, there's something something here. Yeah. But in my addictive arrogance, I thought, well, fuck everybody. I'll just fuck off and do my own thing, which then led me down the path of doing a lot of drinking on my own mm. pretty much. And that's so what addictions I, do. I, I, they, they isolate you from mm. everyone else and everything else that you love to do so that all you have yeah. left is that addictive behaviour. Um, Mitch, what separated your drinking from the average person's drinking? How is it different? How much were you drinking and how often? And how did you know that, okay, this is a problem? Because I think it's pretty hard for a lot of people to delineate between, I like to drink and uh, perhaps I need a bit of help. Yeah, I love that question. I mean, it's a tough thing because like you say, what's a normal amount of drinking? And it's something that Will and I talk about a bit because in Australia, it seems to be a the lot. perception <laughs> is you can drink as much as you want. As long as you're, you know, as long as you go to your work the next day and everything, no one really gives a shit. I guess my level of drinking was not too indifferent to a lot of the guys that I was on the construction sites with or that I played footy with or any of those guys. I guess towards the end, I was drinking a lot by myself at home. I mean, 
a lot of what was going on for me is I was feeling very depressed. I didn't want to be around anymore. Um, life was becoming very difficult. And it wasn't until I went to a counselor and it was like the first session and, and she told me straight away, she's like, you know, you absolutely have a problem with alcohol. And that was kind of the first time that I really thought about it that way because I was in these industries where drinking is so well promoted. And like you say, you're a legend if you drink a lot. Like I used to like go to work and be like, yeah, I drank like 14 super dries on Friday night by myself. And my mates would be like, oh, that's sick, man. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're a legend. Hell. Yeah. Like you say, like, oh, wow. But, but now I look back and it's like, yeah, what the fuck? You know, that's, that's absolutely not, not good for me. And, and I guess that's, that's when it all turned was, was once I started to enter counseling. Uh, yeah. It was the case for you that you couldn't moderate at all and yep. you'd try to go to various events and have a few drinks. We love the, the saying, I'll have a few <laughs> drinks. It rarely actually goes that way. And I remember you telling uh, one story where that ended up being something like 40 drinks probably and went on for yep. far longer than it should have and that that <laughs> pretty much became the norm where you realised, wow, I actually can't just drink a bit. I always end up just an absolute mess yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like a game of Russian roulette, you know, like, I mean, yeah, maybe sometimes I can't have a few drinks and I, and I get lucky. But then, yeah, the amount of times that I would say I'm just going to have a couple and it would end up with drinking a shitload, taking drugs, you know, and just completely obliterating myself. It was just happening far too often. Yeah, I say for me, like, and it's what actually made it easier for me to accept sobriety was the fact was I never tried to moderate it was just never an option for me it i never saw the point of it i still don't see the point of it now like if we're going to drink we're going to have a hundred like yeah, that was because you never that was my you only, never enjoyed drinking that was my only choice you never enjoyed <laughs> drinking for the for the taste of it or, or whatever it is see i actually do now like i really like yeah. i really like drinking red wine now but when i was younger i was like i didn't understand that at all i was like if you're drinking you're drinking because you're, you're trying to party and have a good time and like, why would you drink alcohol for the enjoyment? Because it doesn't taste that good. Yeah, you're going to give me the keys to a Ferrari. I'm going to drive at 200 kilometers an hour. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, Will, what, what were the signs for you that you had to go to rehab or that it was time to check in? And did you take yourself in there? Well, I mean, I had, you know, obviously mental issues uh, or mental health issues. Like I was diagnosed with depression and then obviously my behavior when I was drinking was inappropriate and worrisome for a lot of people. But then I started having physical symptoms from my excessive drinking. I used to get several episodes of gout. One point, which is gout is, you know, you get buildup of uric acid in your joints and you usually get it in your feet, but I got one in my knee and I basically grew another knee. And that was a, an episode to the hospital to have my knee drained out of fluid. That didn't stop me. Um, <laughs> I had, in my last sort of run before rehab, I was, you know, like I was heavily overweight. Like I was nearly 120 kilos. I think my skin was yellow. I was having insomnia. So then like everything, my solution to my problem of not sleeping was to just drink to pass out. And I had one episode where it was it was a monday or tuesday morning and i drank a bottle of rum which was pretty standard for me after having like probably 12 beers and then i went into my housemate's uh bedroom he had a bottle of rum i drank that woke up the next afternoon and i was like i drank two bottles of rum last night <laughs> which is i guess close to like nearly a liter and a half of, of alcohol yeah which you'd think and could I be almost of, fatal for for most people. 
this was another level for me. And I do remember it was just like a Wednesday afternoon, evening, like where I was living at the time was kind of with my mates. We it was kind of like a party house and we had a few people around for a state of origin game. I think it was game two. And all I remember doing in that time is it's a bit hazy for me, but I went down to the liquor store to buy another bottle of rum for the one that I drank of my housemates. And then I don't know how this, I still, it, it, I'm grateful that I managed to work up the courage to do it. But I texted my mom and just said, I'm done. I need help. And I don't know how I, it, I managed because I could have easily just, not thought of sending that message and then just gone back on the roller coaster again. Cause I've tried, I tried to quit on my own hundreds of times and relapsed every, every day. Yeah. And when I did that, she was in my bedroom the next morning at my house where I was living, I was living in not the best conditions. And she just said, pack your shit. You're, you're, you're moving out of here. And then within 48 hours, I was in a rehab facility here on the coast. And yeah, that was the, that was the beginning of the change. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, mum. Good to have parents yeah. <laughs> that'll pull you out of shit like that when it's really serious. How yeah. much do you guys feel that drinking was related to not liking yourselves? Yeah, for me, definitely a lot because I guess the way that I would behave when I was drunk, you know, afterwards I would I would just be ruminating on whatever happened for hours or days and. It, and it would just really would really degrade the opinion of myself. I was constantly in a state of, I guess, regret, particularly for for a couple of days after drinking. And then you know, of course, the Wednesday, Thursday rolls around, and then you forget about it, and then you just you just do it again. And so, I was in this perpetual cycle of yeah, getting drunk, acting like a dickhead, regretting it, and then just doing it again and again. And it's really hard to build any momentum in life and really grow if you're just it's in this. It's kind of like one know, one step forward, two steps around. back. Yeah, yeah, and that was it for you know for for the best part of my youth. Yeah, it's a hazardous cycle, and it's very similar for me. You know, yeah, you get drunk, you do something stupid, you feel bad about it the next day. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about yeah some of my behaviours where yeah, like I used to send just abusive messages to people, but then I would delete the messages while I was in a blackout. So then I was like, oh well, I, the messages aren't here. So and that was just my my coward's way out of not dealing with the shit that I was doing. And of course, yeah, like even though it was causing all my problems, my solution was still to drink, to deal with the problems that were being caused by the drinking I was doing. It was, yeah, yeah you're just stuck in a cycle. And yeah, it's not very and that's productive. That's where the, that, the self-loathing comes into it as well because the reason you're upset and you're hating yourself and hating the way you're living is because of the drinking, but that's what's making you drink. And then it just becomes that, that vicious cycle. And I think it's hard for other people to pick up because people drink for many different reasons and it might look the same from the outside. You know, there could be people who are drinking and they're having a good time doing it and they're doing it because it's fun and, you know, things are actually all right for them and they might drink a bit much. And then there might be someone else who's drinking who actually is really suffering with their mental health and, and it's turning into alcoholism and the people around them might say, oh, well, that just looks like someone who drinks and this person's always liked to drink. So, you know, it's hard to pick up on. Whereas I think other addictions, you know, if you're smoking a bunch of gear, people are going to go, what the fuck, pretty quickly with that. It's not accepted in our culture. Whereas when it comes to drinking, we have a laugh about it and people get too pissed. We think that's funny. We think 
hangovers are funny except when we have them and we talk about <laughs> drinking like it's something that everyone does and everyone always will do it and so it's so accepted so it's much harder i think to see in ourselves this is a problem and it's harder to see in other people this is a problem except i'm sure you guys since going into recovery yourselves you can see it in other people in a different way to how you would have before absolutely yeah and i think it's such a difficult problem and it's so complex like you touched on drinking in australia is it's such a complex issue because yeah, I mean, low-level alcohol use, I mean, Will and I kind of disagree on this point, but, you know, low-level alcohol use for some people can be fun and they can still live a very happy, healthy life. But for a lot of people, it can really disrupt what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, if you're looking at your health, your finances, the relationships in your life uh, and anything of that nature, alcohol really holds you back from all those things. So even though it might not be super apparent that it's damaging your life, but the question is, if I wasn't drinking, how much better would I be? Yeah, and um, and that's kind of the the point to drive home is you know your life not, might not be falling apart, but if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, if you didn't drink, your life would become a lot better. A lot of us don't give ourselves the opportunity to find out how much yeah, better exactly. our lives would be. And you just like you get used to being fit or you get used to being unhealthy. If you've always drunk, you might think to yourself, oh, "I'd probably be better if I didn't drink." But if you never actually really try that out, then you don't realize and then i'm sure you guys having gone so long without drinking then you realize oh wow yeah it really is so much better yeah i guess like with my drinking you know i already had low self-esteem and low self-worth so then i just thought well this is all the life i deserve so i just i deserve to be in this pit of a mess that i've created for myself i don't deserve anything better and i guess taking it my drinking as far as i could take it and then having to come out and go do a complete 180 and then start to work and actually create a better life for myself is then when you start to realize, oh, I do deserve to have a better life and I am capable of creating a better life for myself. Yeah. And I'd agree with you, Mitch. I, you know, I think for most people, they'd be better off without alcohol. I, you know, even if it is, oh, I have a couple of drinks here and there. It's just like, I mean, I just don't see any positive to it. It doesn't, I don't think it's going to add anything to anybody's lives. Yeah. But I'm also under the understanding that, you know, everybody has to make their own mind up on it. And I guess I do have a bias because I used to fucking send the shit out of it. <laughs> How did drugs affect your drinking, Mitch? I mean, towards the end, it would actually cause me to black out. There was a number of instances where I'd be drinking, I would take something, and then, yeah, my memory would be would be pretty much gone. And, and then the next day, people would tell me about, uh, yeah, what happened, and it, yeah, it scared the fuck out of me because, you know, it's like it's, it's almost a state of disbelief as to, like, what happened. Yeah, um, and you get really lucky as then, well because that's when <clears throat> really bad stuff can happen, yeah. like getting in a car yeah. and killing yourself or killing someone or hurting someone in some other way or you know anything can happen in that and it's not like the person's conscious of it but they're still going to have the same result which is pretty freaky and you don't know when that's going to happen if you've been drinking in a risky way for a long time you sort of think that you've got control over it and it'll be like oh you know it'll be a bit patchy but i'll largely know what i'm doing and then bang you can go out like that and and still be walking around doing stuff that you don't know what you were doing and yeah. that can be a real problem depending on who you come up against yeah absolutely and yeah I, I agree completely it's it's definitely a real scary thing to happen and, and you know and, and i and i was responsible you know and that's the thing like no one no one forced me to take these things so if anything bad does happen then i have to take responsibility 
you know, as years went by, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure you may have had a, a similar thing where, you know, some some people had, had passed away from taking these drugs and people that, you know, I'd mix with and, and then, you know, it, really, it becomes really scary, you know, when, when you know, young young guys lose their life because uh, because they're trying to party and have a good time. And uh, it seemed to be a pretty common, uh, not not super common, but but you know, a number of people over the years, yeah, passed away because of because of drug use in a, in a party scene. So, I mean, that definitely scared the shit out of me, and it, unfortunately, it didn't didn't really stop me. Um, which now I can look back and see how silly that was. Yeah, were there other drugs or addictive behaviours involved for you, Will, or was it just drinking? I mean, I. She took drugs here and there, like if it was available. I think it was, I had, I was quite lazy. I guess the convenience of alcohol just sort of worked for me. I didn't really, was around people who did a lot of drugs and even like smoking cigarettes, like having to go to like a petrol station and ask for cigarettes was too much of an effort. I could go into a liquor store and just pick it off the shelf. Didn't have to talk to anybody and just pay for it and leave. It was just mostly alcohol for me because I think if I had the convenience and of drugs at my disposal, I probably would have easily become a drug addict even because I probably just would have yeah, sent it with that as well. I mean, my experience, I mean, I, I mean, one of my experiences, I guess, like if I was doing cocaine, I was able to drink a lot more. I remember having gone out. Um, I used to be an Uber driver and I went, I went out with these guys from Sydney because they, I drove them to pick up cocaine and then they gave me cocaine while I was driving and then <laughs> went out with them the rest of the night. And I was just doing free cocaine all night with them. And they'd get a round of drinks and I already had like four in front of me or like, and they're just like, holy shit, this guy can fucking sink it. So, so then there's like, there's that pride aspect, like, oh, this, this guy's cool. He can fucking sink a lot of alcohol. Yeah, because that's our identity. Hmm. It's not a very constructive so. one though, is it? It's like, that's what you represent as a human being. It's like, oh yeah, you can fucking yeah. sink piss this guy. You're like, shit, how's that guy going the rest of the time? And you guys hmm. have both been diagnosed with depression and you spent a lot of your time pumping your body full of a depressant how do you think those were related to each other oh i mean yeah it would be it would be hard to say that it that it didn't have a didn't have a massive effect particularly because i mean i don't know about you will but my mine got a lot worse as time went on like yeah because i mean uh you know to, basically towards the end i was it was it was really serious you know and i, I had a I fortunately started taking medication for like antidepressants, which uh, really helped me at that time. But, uh, but yeah, toward, I, I was basically forced to take that medication because otherwise, you know, I may have passed away and I mean, yeah, drinking copious amount for a number of years had to have an effect for sure. Mm. Yeah. When I first was diagnosed and then I was given antidepressants, I was still yeah, drinking heavily. So, you know, they, they probably just cancel each other out. And it wasn't until, getting sober and then, you know, having issues, still having issues with depression. I kind of had this hope that, all right, if I quit drinking, then all the depression and everything will go away, but, um, it hasn't been the case. So I guess it's more of a deep rooted issue, um, within myself, which yeah, then I've had to, I took antidepressants for a couple of years afterwards with hope for, to, for improvement. And then I did uh, another treatment called TMS and yeah, it's kind of just been an uphill struggle, I guess, since finally getting rid of alcohol, but it's certainly not something that was like, oh, well, everything's solved now. It's, yeah. yeah. It's still an ongoing thing. No silver bullet. How has it helped with your depression though, giving up alcohol? What it does is it, 
you're then exposed to your depression a lot because I guess I mean counselors told me that the reason I was drinking is because I was self-medicating for uh for depression and maybe that was part of it. And then so when you stop drinking, like Will just said, you think it's going to fix all your problems, but it doesn't. You're actually it's you're able to start fixing your problems. So I mean when I first stopped, I became more depressed because I was then I suppose unmedicated, you could say. Yeah, it was it was really, really a challenge because then you realize, oh fuck, like my mood is low all the time and I, I'm not having fun anymore. You know, nothing excites me. And so you're kind of exposed to that. So it can be, it can be a really scary thing. At least, it, at least it was for me at the start. Yeah. I mean, the saying is like, you know, getting sober won't fix your problems. It allows you to start working on them. And, you know, it is, yeah, you get through that period where it's just, you feel like nothing's fun, everything's shit, everything's boring. And it's because if you've dedicated, well, I mean, from my perspective, where I dedicated the majority of my time to drinking alcohol, I took that out and I had loads of time on my hands. So it was just a matter of finding things to put place in that were, you know, better use of my time. And then that's when I started exploring, I guess, uh, sorting out my health, which was with uh, diet and exercise. So that's when I correct, I guess, got more of a structure with my eating and then, you know, hitting the gym and then just doing other remedies, I guess, like, yeah, going for walks, getting outside in the sun and then finding, I guess, a community of good supportive people around you have certainly helped and they're certainly tool, good tools, but, you know, there, there is no one magic. Apparently we're finding that you have to do a multiple array of different things to keep the train going. Yeah. And when you are drinking like that and then you stop and you realize just how much work you have to do to mm. try to make yourself feel better and improve your health and, and discover a way to enjoy life outside of alcohol, that task can, see, can seem so impossible that you go straight back to drinking because it's, that's, the, that's the easy band-aid, whether it's drinking or it's drugs or it's gambling or it's porn, whatever it is, that's that easy band-aid of, well, facing the depth of this issue and how much I'm going to have to change is just too overwhelming. So I'm just going to put it off and stay in this mm. safe zone, which I know is bad for me, but it's what I feel like I deserve. And it just seems too hard to, to now turn my whole life around and, and aim for something bigger it seems unrealistic to be able to actually make that happen. So how did you guys face that mentally day by day when you decided to make that change, but you were still feeling shit? How did you keep yourselves on that straight and narrow? And did you have like a dialogue in your head or, or what helped you to keep it together? Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've relapsed a couple of times. So I've kind of gone through the wave up and down, up and down, which, you know, is real common for, for, for people trying to get sober and, um, and and it's, it's it's totally okay. It's it's just part of the process. So I guess the first time it was difficult for me because I was in the exact same environment. I was on the construction sites. I was playing footy. So my life was just surrounded by alcohol. And that was, you know, that was probably the most difficult time because I had almost no support except for I guess my counsellor, um, who you know she really supported me and was always encouraging me to find a new hobby or find a new job because she could clearly see it was. You know, I was surrounded by this and that what would really help me is is to get out. So 
for me in that state, I guess I started with, I'm just not going to drink for a year, or at least that's how I would, like you said, the dialogue I would have with myself is like, just get through for a year and then, and then see how you go. Um, and then I, I kind of relapsed within that year and then drank for like six months where, you know, I ended up binge drinking four or five nights a week towards the end. And then now that then I moved to the Gold Coast and that's when Will and I met. And then since then, because I've got a completely new friendship group and uh, and obviously the support of Will and and a lot of other guys that don't drink, it's it's far, far easier. So that's kind of how I managed to get through sobriety. Yeah, and not seeing it, because uh, obviously looking at it as a huge thing if it was in regards to quitting drinking, like putting this big um, mountain in front of you, I'm never going to drink again, can yeah be quite confronting and overwhelming. I mean, I remember when I was in rehab and I was a couple of days sober and I thought, I'll give this a year. Like there was a part of me that thought I'd go back, like it was just inevitable. And I mean, my last relapse was in 2019 when I went to Europe for four and a half months on a bender and eventually kick the kick the can down the road again and quit again February 1st 2020 but it, I'd always come back to this uh this one AA meeting I went to and this guy got up and he had a couple of years of sobriety and the one thing I took away from his speech was he just didn't have a drink today and that just stuck with me it was just if I can just hone it back to today if I don't have a drink today you know then I've won the day and even though that I've gotten to a point now where I'm fairly confident that I don't think I'll ever pick up another drink again, I still hone back to just focusing on today. Just, you know, if you can not have a drink today and keep having those small wins every day, you know, it builds up. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's the, the cliches are true, like one, one day at a time. And that's what you hear all the time. But from a lot of people that I've spoken to, if you, if you see it that way, it, it makes it realistic because like you say, I'm not going to drink for a year. I'm not going to ever drink again. It sounds like a big task, but if it's just like, I like what you said there, I'm just not going to do it today and do that every day. That seems a lot more achievable. And so what have you guys replaced the drinking with? You've had a lot more time and you mentioned you got more into the, the health and fitness stuff, but in terms of getting a high, you know, getting a rush, do you get that from anywhere or you just you live a life without that? I guess obviously the highs aren't going to be as as much as I guess we, we would have gotten from drugs and alcohol, but you can still get it in certain ways and just, I guess, even, I mean, certainly health and fitness has become a big, I guess, core value of my life. So, I mean, I'm at a point where I'm training every day because, um, and for the most part, you know, it's a lot of rigorous exercise that, you know, when you're doing it, you'd think, ah, oh, fuck, I just, oh, this is rough as shit. But then I do it for how I feel afterwards. Like I've completed a task and that's, um, then I feel good for the rest of the, I guess, for the rest of the day that I know that I've done that. And that's why, I mean, I usually do exercise at first thing in the morning. Yeah. And then just pursuing work that you're passionate about, which is, Come this podcast that Mitch and I have started doing that is certainly fulfilling. Yeah, I guess, yeah, like just finding stuff that's fulfilling, you know, living it, yeah, like being on a, I guess, a purposeful life. And it's pretty, pursuing. it's pretty good to be able to look into the mirror and like what you see both physically because you've made so, so much progress in that regard, but also just like who you actually are. And you never used to feel that way, guys. So it's a pretty big step to be able to get to that point. And then, not be drunk or hung over all the time so you can accomplish mm -hmm. so many things in life and you can tick off all those boxes and that gives you that happy chemical release knowing that you're a 
productive member of society who can rely on yourself and other people can rely on you as well. And I suppose for me, I find like leaning more into a, a calmness, like just enjoying being calmer and having more quiet in my life, like really like reading books, just spending time with my girlfriend or my friends, my family, or just by myself and just being calmer, like just less of the chaos and seeing that as a really big positive. And yeah, you get the endorphin release out of the, the heavy workouts, but it's sort of like, you don't need to chase that adrenaline so much anymore, or you know where that goes mm. and you can kind of prioritize and value other stuff in life, like that consistency where you're not getting too high, not getting too low, but you're able to tick things off day after day and, and feel like yourself day after day. Over time, I think that results in a, a good state of mind and hopefully a happy life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think like it's really hard to try and find anything that will give you the level of dopamine and serotonin as drugs and alcohol. You know, like it's just without in a natural state, it's very hard to achieve. So, and you know, that's a difficult part of, of sobriety is accepting that it's like, you may never feel as high again. It's about reconceptualizing your existence is that, you know, are we on this planet to ourselves have these really high highs or are we on this planet to live a meaningful existence and try and help other people around us. What's more important? So it is a trade-off, no doubt. You know, like, yes, you are trading off this incredible high, which is, you know, you also get the incredible low, but you're trading that off for pretty much everything else in your life. I mean, I can attest to the fact, I mean, I, there was a time where I was attracted to the chaos and I thought it made me interesting to be on these wild escapades, yeah, drinking as that. much as possible with all sorts of nonsense going on. I thought stability and, was lame. I was like, stability. Yeah, yeah. I was like, stability's for losers. Like, you know, that was literally yeah. what I used to think. <laughs> like, I remember drinking with a mate, you know, and we'd have friends who were saving up to buy their first houses. We thought, oh, fuck it, live in the now. Let's let's go for it. And you know, those blokes have houses, and I don't have a house now. So it's just in our house. It's cost eighty billion dollars. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just having a change of perspective. But. I certainly have found appreciation for a lot more structure and a lot more peace within my life now. Um, and those around me do appreciate that as well. And a lot of people worry, if I stop drinking, I'm not going to have friends. No one's going to want to hang out with me <laughs> or I'm going to lose my friends or my family's going to judge me for it, which seems crazy because it's, it's not something that's of any benefit to anyone really. But what was the reality mm. for you guys in terms of meeting like-minded people, changing that environment? And what is your social life like now without alcohol? I think first and foremost, quitting drinking is a great filter to find out who your real friends are because you'll find that the people that aren't really your mates, they will stop spending time with you, which is a win-win because, I mean, you're getting sober and you're also cleaning out people that don't really care about you. I found that people that did care about me have hung around and... I mean, for me, I did have to remove myself from playing, you know, from playing footy because it is so dominated by alcohol and no no judgment towards it. Um, but it was just not, you know, it was not healthy for me to be in that environment. So I joined, that's how Will and I met. We, we joined the same gym or it was a men's group. And to be honest, my social life is actually a lot better now. I have the quality of my friendships is so much better and I've got so much more integrity of who I am as a man. So other people respect me a lot more than what they used to, which overall makes me feel a lot better about my life. And yeah, and I guess the, and the main difference is I, I, Will and I, you know, we tend to hang out in the mornings, lunches and afternoons is more our, is more our style. So the, 
the, the you know there's no no longer the really late nights and, and big party nights but we still definitely socialize and and yeah we have a, a bunch of really good people up here that we all hang out with yeah yeah good. and i mean i guess for me you know my fa- my family was very thrilled that i was wanting to quit drinking so i didn't have any pushback from there it was all very supportive and i, I can understand for a lot of people there's a lot of drinking within their family Friends, I mean, the friends I was knocking about with when I was, I guess, transitioning out of rehab kind of all lost touch and I haven't really spoken to them in a couple of years. But I kind of understand their perspective because if they wanted to keep pursuing down that party route and didn't want to invite me or include me because they didn't want me to then fall back off the wagon again, um, I completely respect that. I whether that was the case. So I kind of had to find, I guess, yeah, another friendship group. I mean, I was pretty socially isolated for a couple of years, which wasn't, uh, I certainly wasn't useful in the long term. I think in the short term, if you're getting sober and you want to, I guess, remove yourself from like alcohol-fueled environments because you don't want to be tempted, I think is good. But from what I've learned in the long term, you're going to have to eventually dip your toes in and just get uncomfortable with it. And you'll there's growth on the other side of it, though, because you'll get to a place where I'm at where I don't even think about it anymore. There's people drinking around me and it doesn't cross my mind. And I managed to do this year, which, like Mitch said, we, we joined a men's group up here. And so I met a lot of yeah like-minded people where like a core focus was you know, health and fitness and then i've been exploring joining other i guess group fitness gyms here on the coast it's i think you're hitting two birds with one stone with that i'm getting my health and fitness and then i'm meeting yeah people who i think probably have similar mindset yeah. and um core values yeah uh, instead i think of like we all we having all- to go out we all need community as well. We need to find it somewhere. You've got to replace it with something. You can't just isolate yourself and then sit there and abstain. That's not going to work for anyone mm. because you've got no. a lot of time on your hands and, and everyone wants to connect and actually be accepted and, and be around a group. So you've got to go find that group somewhere else, which obviously you guys have done. Uh, what have you learned about who you really are, Mitch? I don't need alcohol to be liked because that was a belief of mine for a long time, like you touched on. If I quit drinking, no one's going to like me. And everyone thinks I'm boring because, you know, I'm entertaining when I drink, you know, I'm more chatty and I'm more outgoing and people seem to revolve around me. But, but if I'm sober, people just, they're not going to, they're not going to like me. So I've learned that actually, you know, turns out people like me more when I'm sober. So that's probably been one of the biggest learnings. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of small things that you learn as time goes on. But for me, that would be the main one is that, um, you know, I, I am, still a great person and I don't need alcohol. Yeah, that's a great insight. What about you, Will? I mean, oh, there was a time where I thought I could never give it up and to think of, think of that now is just, I guess, unbelievable to see where I was. And, I mean, I post sometimes on my social media video. I've got videos of myself when I was in that heavy drunken state and, I, you know, I mean, Mitch has seen some of it and he's just like, it's a completely different person. <laughs> he doesn't recognise it. It's like, that's you? It's like, yeah, that was me. Um, yeah. And yeah, similar to what Mitch has said, you know, you just, you think that, oh, I'm not going to be fun. I'm not going to be interesting. You know, you need, I guess I can be quite an introverted person and maybe alcohol, maybe more extroverted. It's, I guess, coming to a place where I'm more accepted, accepting of who I am as a person and becoming more of my authentic self and being okay with it. And yeah, like you can't have a good time without alcohol. It's, it's possible. You just got to be willing to explore it, you know. 
Mm. Awesome. You guys actually make me believe that. <laughs> you actually make me believe <laughs> that I could have a good time without alcohol, which tells me that you're the, the perfect people to be doing what you're doing now. So really glad to see you guys getting out there and having these conversations because it's really, there's not a lot of it and there's not a lot of it coming from guys your age who've been there to the extent that you've been there. Uh, and you just make it really accessible and it's not uh, over the top or anything. And I reckon all young people should be hearing from you guys about these stories and, and what you've managed to do because, yeah, you make not drinking seem cool. Where can people find your stuff? It's Last Drinks Podcast, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and then Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So Last Drinks Podcast is where to find us. Wicked. Thanks, boys. Good to meet you. And uh, we'll catch up hopefully for uh, a non-alcoholic beverage someday. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds great, mate. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, boys. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our local business supporters, Heard Financial and First National Real Estate. Making these podcasts isn't cheap and we can't do it alone. If you'd like to become a supporter, please send an email to callum at youngbloodmedia.com.au. If you're getting some value out of the show, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us out. You can watch every episode in studio quality video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, Youngblood Men's Mental Health. We go by the same name on Instagram and Facebook and follow Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.